If you join me in Bible study this morning, please open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy to chapter 26. We got to verse 16 last time and we started it, but we didn't get all the way through a verse. This verse says, This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them, but there's not a period. It's with all your heart and with all your soul. God could have created us as robots, automatons, made us do what he wanted us to do, but that's not what God wanted for us. He wanted us to choose him. To choose him. And always, when we see the, the encouragement to keep the commandments, it always relates back to the heart. Faith and love come first, then obedience follows from that. So let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. We'll start with a little review of last week and then seamlessly integrate into this week, I hope. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. Because this verse tells us what is the meaning of life. Says, but from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him. What's the next word? If you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. People find the Lord when they desperately seek him. Rarely does anybody find the Lord when they're just casually going through life without a care. Turn with me then to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 is called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It was included in the song we just sang. But the next verse tells us how to seek the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 is called the Vehafta. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You can never please God if you approach him in a spirit of, oh, I don't know. Right? But when you seek him with your whole heart because you love him, because you appreciate all that he's done for us. Why should we? What has God ever done for us? Created the heavens and the earth. Brought us into the world, fed us, clothed us, healed us, sent his only begotten son to die for us. He demonstrated his love through his actions. And all he's asked for us to do is to love him too, right? Can you love a God in which you have no faith? No, so faith breeds love, which breeds obedience. And that's what the Bible's trying to teach us today. Go to Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now Israel, not Jacob, but Israel. Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, 
to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes that I command you today for your good. What are these commandments for? Aren't they to be a burden on us? Aren't they to punish us because we're bad people? No. They're for our good. Obedience brings what? Blessing. Do you want the blessing of the Lord your God in your life? Then follow him. Love him. Deuteronomy 11 verse 3. 13. 3 with a 1 before it. And it shall be if you want casually, no, earnestly obey my commandments I command you today. And what are they? To love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then I'll give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain. The early rains and the latter rains in their physical sense bring forth the crops such that there is no hunger, there is no famine. But there's also a deeper meaning to the early and the latter rains and that's the first and second coming of Messiah. Let's turn from there to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 3. Why all these quotes from Deuteronomy? What's the purpose of Deuteronomy? It's to gather together in one place those commandments that apply to us all. However we were born. Deuteronomy chapter 13 verse 3 says, You shall not listen to the words of that prophet that is the false prophet, or that dreamer of dreams, the one who's false. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart and with all your soul. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30 is about return of Israel back to the land when Messiah comes to establish the kingdom. When he returns at the end of the tribulation period to establish that eternal kingdom. And in verse 2 it says, And you return, there's the repentance, to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children, with all your heart and with all your soul. Same chapter, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And then finally in verse 10, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes which are written in this book of the law, and if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, how does the Lord want you to worship him? With all your heart and with all your soul. What was the last verse? That last verse was chapter 30, verse 10. Mm -hmm. And this is all in the future, right? So if it's all in the future, then that means the commandments still apply. That means the commandments still apply. So he's saying, well, this is how you demonstrate. 
with your faith. Yeah. It's by keeping. So if you say you love me, you better be keeping my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Why didn't the Lord tell us that in John 14, 15 in big red letters? Yeah. But Bill was saying no, where Daniel's saying yes. I'm saying this in the present. Because we've seen in these few verses, the past, the present, and the future, that it has not changed. It's been from the beginning. God wanted you to worship him with all your heart, with all your soul. It still is, and it always will be. So let's, go, let's turn to the book of Joshua. Joshua, because Deuteronomy was written by Moses. Moses is dead before the people get to cross into the promised land. Joshua leads them in. Does Joshua continue the teachings or does Joshua change the tone? You can already guess that, no, it's not going to change. Joshua chapter 22, verse 5. Joshua has led the children of Israel across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan, and God has given it to them. That land flowing with milk and honey. It says in Joshua 22, verse 5, But take careful heed to do the commandment and the Torah, the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, comma, here it is, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. But how did the commandment begin? To what? Love the Lord your God. And if you do, then you'll keep them all. Yeah. What we have to do is not look at the word as if it's an English word like we use it today, because it's not. But you know, like when you were reading all, all those different scriptures that said, you know, if you love me, you know, love me with all your heart, and there are lots of people that say, Lord, I love you with my heart. And it took me to Matthew seven. Yeah. And it's you know, there are many people that will say, Lord, we love you with all our heart, with all our soul. We're doing all these things in your name. And what does he say to them? I didn't command you to do those things. Right. So it's like people say they love him, but they want to show that love in their own way. Right. So let us go on to First Kings chapter 2. First Kings chapter 2. There were 400 years of the judges from the time of Joshua until we have the first king of Israel. So we've jumped forward 400 years in time from Joshua 22 to 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 4. That the Lord may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart, and with all their soul, he said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Why was Israel taken into captivity? Because they did not love the Lord with all their heart and with all their soul. They were turned away to pagan idols. They were turned away from God. But God's promise here was, if you will always love me with your whole heart, 
You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Go to 1 Kings chapter 8. Let's see how we did. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 48. This is the prayer of Solomon as he dedicates the temple in Jerusalem to the Lord our God. So let's start in 46 for context. Verse 46. So 1 Kings 8, 46. When they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin. And you become angry with them and deliver them to the enemy. And they take them captive to the land of the enemy far or near. That's talking about the captivities of Israel that have not happened yet. Why does Solomon think they're going to? Because God said they're going to, right? Yeah. Yet when they come to themselves in the land where they were carried captive and repent. Look at that word repent. It means to turn around, to stop running from God and to come back to God. To turn away from the pagan idols and to embrace the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. I heard a well-known theologian just this morning talking about salvation, how we get saved. And he said, you've got to repent, but you don't keep God's commandments. And I'm thinking, what are you repenting from? He never said. He just said repentance is essential, but he never said what it was. But then you don't keep God's commandments. Do you see he's got a disconnect? Because what does repent mean? Come back to God, embrace him, follow him, love him with all your heart. Do what he tells you to do. It says, I make supplication. What's a supplication? It's a big word. Pray to you in the land of those who took them captive, saying, We have sinned and done wrong. We've committed wickedness. And when they return to you, comma, how? With all their heart and with all their soul. In the land of their enemies who led them away captive and prayed to you toward the land which they gave to you their fathers, the city which you've chosen, the temple for which I have built for your name. Then here in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their supplication and maintain their cause. And forgive your people who have, who have sinned against you on all their transgressions which they have transgressed against you. And grant them compassion before those who took them captive, that they may have compassion on them. What brings about forgiveness? Repentance. repentance. Without repentance, there is no forgiveness. And that we need to reintroduce into the world today, because it's been kind of forgotten. Let's go to Matthew 22. Let's see if the New Testament teaches differently. Matthew 22, verse 37. When they ask Messiah, Yeshua, our Lord, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Yeshua says to him, what? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Where is that from? That's from Deuteronomy. This is the first and great commandment. 
If you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, then your life is going to turn back to God and everything else will follow. Until you love the Lord, your life will never be right. Let's go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. See, I got a comment out there and you go to meeting land. Yeah, true. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. We'll start in 29 just for context. Yeshua answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's Deuteronomy 6 4, that's the Shema. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. So the Lord says those are not two different things. If you recognize and have faith that there is one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, then you will love him. And if you will love him, then that's going to bring obedience to him. Let's go to Luke chapter 10. Verse 27. Luke 10, 27. A scribe, an expert in the law, ask Messiah, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Messiah's response is, what is written in the Torah? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And he, Messiah, said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. What does he mean by do this? Isn't it enough to just Think about it. To know the Bible says it. No, we need to put it into practice. Do it out of faith and love, not just because. We're not slaves. We are loving children. Oh, that reminds me of a verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Somebody commented just a few minutes ago in the chat. Repentance without obedience is an oxymoron. So is calling Messiah Lord and not doing the things which he says. Lord means master, the one I obey. He says, you call me the one you obey, but you don't obey. Does that remind you of Malachi chapter 1 verse 6? Let's go back to Malachi 1 6.
Malachi 1.6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? Meaning what? The people called upon him. They called him Father. They called him Lord. They called him Master. But when it comes to obedience, it's like, no, 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 that's going too far. Is that the world we live in? I remember as a young man, somebody singing to me that you are just a religious zealot. And I said, what do you mean? Well, I said, well, you go to church, don't you? I said, oh, that's how you define a zealot? <laughs> One who worships the Lord? Okay, I'll take the label. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 26, verse 17. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God. And that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. This is what it means to proclaim that the Lord is my God. You're making a declaration that you will walk in his ways. What does it mean to walk in his ways? The words they translate into English are not exactly the way they are in the Hebrew. So to walk in his ways is to walk. It's an infinitive, to walk. And to keep. And to obey. Those are all infinitives that define how do we walk in the ways of the Lord. We keep his statutes. We keep his commandments. We keep his judgments. And we obey his voice. Of course, to obey his voice simply means to obey. And verse 18 says also, Today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people. Just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments. Whoa, that's a mind blower. What does God expect of those who are called his special people? That you should keep some of his commandments? Hey, nine out of ten is pretty good. How about we pick every other one? Or how about we keep the same number, we just change it. I'll throw out, thou shalt not steal, and I'll replace it with thou shalt not eat broccoli, okay? <laughs> Got the same, no, what happens if you pick and choose, then who are you obeying? Not God, you're obeying yourself. You're showing partiality, you've made yourself God. And that doesn't work so well, does it? Let's go to Titus chapter 2. Oh, wouldn't that be nice, yeah? Because if you're making a declaration of faith, here's what you do now that you're saying. Exactly. The, 
the Roman roadway as it is kind of assumes that when you make your profession of faith, that's the end of the road. It's actually just the beginning of the journey. So to me, this should be like the end of that liturgy. Yeah. Now that you've made the declaration of faith, now that you've proclaimed the Lord to be your God, now walk in his ways and keep his commandments and keep his statutes. And that's what the scripture wants us to do. So, oh, and then now that you're in the book of Deuteronomy, read all of it. You know, it's like, all right, here you go. Yeah. So let's go on to Titus chapter 2. Well, I'm excited. I don't get to teach from Titus very often. <laughs> Bet half you forgot it was in the Bible, didn't you? In the New Testament, all of the T's are together and they're in alphabetical order. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Never forget that. Salvation is by the grace of God. He doesn't owe it to us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I wanted us to come here and look at this because it uses that same phrase, his own special people. But if you look back at verse 12, when it says we should walk and live righteously, what's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. Lawlessness, the breaking of God's commandments. Is that for children of God to live in a lawless way? The answer is no. We should live in righteousness. And in verse 14 it says, His own special people zealous for what? Good works, for obedience, for the things that teach of God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning in verse 1. Comes right after 1 Peter chapter 1 if that helps. Therefore... Uh-oh. How do you start a teaching with therefore? Therefore what? Since you have been saved, since you have been washed clean, since you've been purified. Therefore laying aside all malice, all deceit. What's a deceit? Lying. Hypocrisy. Pretending to be something you're not. Envy and all evil speaking. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the... Word. In other words, when we get saved, we should dive into the Bible. We should study it. We should crave it. We should want to know every word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to him as a living stone, 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Yeshua the Messiah. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient. Wait a minute. They've contrasted those who believe with those who are disobedient. It assumes what? Those who believe will be obedient. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Where is that quoted from? Psalm 118, which was being sung as Messiah died on Calvary's tree. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to what? The word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. How did we obtain mercy when we didn't have it before? We repented and came to God by faith, accepting the death, burial, and resurrection of our Messiah Yeshua in our place. Back to Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verse 19. Verse 19 begins, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name, and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. That word holy, kadosh, that is such a deep and profound word. What does it really mean? It means set apart unto God, different from the world. It appears how many times in the scripture do you think? About, About 576 times. 402 in the Old Testament and 174 in the New Testament. Has God's commandment for us to be holy changed? If it appears 576 times. Well, let's go look at all 570. No, let's not. But let's do look at 1 Peter chapter 1. We know how to find it because we were just in Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 13. The whole epistle of Peter is designed to get believers to embrace the concept of holiness. To understand what it means to be a special people. Yeah. 1 
First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13, says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. That's the first indication that this is a theological teaching, because you don't really have loins in your mind, but you know what it means, what he's getting at. Be sober, which means be in your right mind. Have your mind set properly. Do you guys ever look at the Barna surveys that survey Christianity? The last Barna survey, I think, said 13% of those who call themselves evangelical Christians even have a biblical worldview. 13%. Mm. Have a right mind and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you with the revelation of Yeshua the Messiah. Salvation is by what? By faith, by the grace of God. There is no other way. He says, verse 14, as obedient children. Why does he include the word obedient? Obedient to what? To the commandments of God, to the word of God, to the teachings in the scriptures. Not conforming yourselves to the former lust that has put away the sin that you lived in before you got saved. As in your ignorance, that is before you came to know the Lord. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in, does that say some of your conduct? No, it says in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. That's a quote from Leviticus chapter 11. So let's keep a pencil or a finger here, yours, your neighbor's, I don't care. And let's go back to Leviticus 11, where Peter quotes from. It is the chapter in Leviticus that tells us that you can eat lamb, but not pig. Tells us what foods are clean, what foods are unclean. But that's not all Leviticus 11 has to teach us. He says in verse 43, You shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creeps, nor shall you make yourselves unclean with them, lest you be defiled by them. So if we eat foods that God said are unclean, what does it do to our bodies? It makes us what in God's eyes? Abominable. That means detestable. That is unacceptable. Hmm. Then he says for, because. Here's why. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves. To consecrate yourself means to make yourself holy. To set yourself apart from the sins of the world. And put set yourself unto God. And you shall be holy for I am holy. That's the key. Why should we be holy? Because God is holy. Do you want to live in God's presence? Do you want God to fill your heart? To be resident in your body? He says, you be holy then, for I am holy. Would you ask God to live in an outhouse? Be honest, you would not. If you make your body abominable, do you expect God to reside in it? It says, neither shall you defile yourself. That word defile means to make your soul unclean, isn't it? That's what the word means. 
with any creeping thing that creeps on the earth. For I am the Lord who brings you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. Or read it, you shall therefore be holy because I am holy. And does that make your mind immediately jump to 2 Corinthians 6? It should. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 6. Does the New Testament teach something different? Most of the church says, yeah, the New Testament says we can eat pigs. But it does not. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul takes this concept that we just read in the scriptures and applies it to the believers coming out of the Gentile world. Starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. That's the key verse right here. Once you get saved and the Holy Spirit dwells in you, a temple is where God dwells. You declare your body to be God's temple, his resting place. It says, as God has said, I will dwell in them. Walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, that is, from the unbelievers. And be separate, says the Lord. Separate yourself, that is, consecrate yourself to be holy. Do not touch what is unclean, and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, that God will dwell in us. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's go back to 1 Peter 1, because Peter wasn't finished. So the cleansing ourselves of the flesh, does that mean removing tattoos? No, but don't get any more. Repent of it, turn away from it. 1 Peter chapter 1 continues in verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who calls on the Father? His children, right? Those who believe. Who without partiality judges according to each one's work. Oh, if only we had a teaching on work recently. How are we judged? By our works. Conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Fear causes what? Causes obedience. To fear the Lord is to obey him. Knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. You mean our fathers could have taught us wrong? Yes. Yeah. But with the precious blood of Messiah, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifesting these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Go to Hebrews chapter 12, just a few pages before. Wayne? Yes, um, um why, why does uh, Colossians 2.16 in view of this, say, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day. Now, why, go ahead. Why does it 
why is that there? Because like for for like defense purposes, when people bring that up, because they often do. Well, let's go look at it. Go to Colossians. We'll come back to Hebrews 12. Don't worry. Unless I forget. In which case we won't. But Colossians chapter 2 confuses a lot of people. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 2. Only you can't start in verse 16. Because verse 16 begins with the word so. Does that start a new topic? No. It continues. So look back at verse 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers. Does the phrase principalities and powers refer to God? Did Yeshua defeat God when he arose from the grave? No, it refers to Satan and his demonic powers. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. So, therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Messiah. This is the way the traditional theologian teaches it. Therefore, don't let one tell you that you should participate in these things, these commandments of God. But as we're going to see, it's actually the opposite. Don't let the unsaved world try and talk you out of them. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, that is, they teach about Messiah. It says, but the substance is a Messiah. It goes on in the same teaching. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels. Is that God's commandments we're talking about? No, we're talking about Gnosticism. Gnosticism is ruled by the principalities and powers referred to in verse 15. That Messiah defeated. So Colossae was an area full of Gnosticism. And when these people got saved, their friends and, and relatives are saying, Oh, you've been led into a cult. Come out of there. Come back to our ways. And in Gnosticism, you earn your way to godhood by learning different secret teachings, much in the way of the Church of Mormon, Latter-day Saints teaches, that God was a human being like we were, but he went up through the levels of Mormonism and achieved godhood, and you can too. That's all from Gnosticism. But let's keep reading. Verse 18, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. The head is Messiah, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increases from God. Therefore, if you died with Messiah from the basic principles of the world, that's Gnosticism, not God's commandments. Why as though living in the world do you subject yourselves to regulations? Notice not commandments to man-made rules and regulations. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. So Paul says, why would you let people try and take away these commandments of God that teach about Messiah? 
and take you back to your old life in Gnosticism, which gained you nothing. Okay. Does that help? Yes, thank you very much. Sure. So when it says, let no one judge you, it's don't let people judge you for doing these things because they teach about Messiah. Verse 17, where it says, But the substance of, is of Christ. Uh huh. Shouldn't it be something like, Accept the body of Christ, or something like, Don't let anyone judge you except the body of believers? I uh, don't think I've heard that before. I think I've heard you talk about that. Well, then I wasn't listening to myself. <laughs> now, if you're reading from an NIV or something, they have changed verse 17 to say, Which were a shadow. But the Greek says, Which are. I heard somebody in Go to Meeting Land. Oh, you mean, uh, if, just keep reading 3.5 kind of puts a, a, a nice um, therefore onto it. Okay. Therefore put to death your members which are on um, which, which are on earth, fornication, uncleanliness, and that's what you're talking about, passion and evil desire. Yeah, that's right. So Colossians 3.5 says to put to death uncleanness, just like the rest of the scriptures say. So if you read verse 16 of chapter 2, it's saying, go ahead and eat pigs. A few verses later, Paul says, but don't you do it. So it's clear from the context that people just read it backwards. Okay, thanks. Hebrews 12, Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 14. Why, Wayne, do you talk about holiness so much? Because verse 14 says what? Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Does it matter? If we decide to live in the world and eat pigs, shrimps, lobsters, play with hookers, etc., don't we just lose a few rewards in heaven? Isaiah 66 says you're going to the lake of fire. Revelation 22 says you're going to the lake of fire. So does it make a difference? It makes a difference. Does this mean we're saved by works? Absolutely not. It means that if we are saved by faith, that salvation will lead us to obedience. That's exactly what we just read in Deuteronomy. If you proclaim the Lord and put your true faith and trust in him, everything else will follow. Let's look at a few verses in the New Testament to make sure people think, well, that's not just an Old Testament concept. Yep, go to 1 John. Which was the last of the apostles to write? John. And by the time that John was writing in the middle of the 90s of the common era or 90s AD, the church was already going off the rails and returning to its sinful ways. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, John tells us how to tell a child of God 
from a child of the devil. Verse 10 says, And this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. I mean, here's how you can tell one from the other. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. What's the opposite of righteousness? Lawlessness. What did Matthew chapter 7 verse 23 say? The Lord will say on judgment day to those who practice lawlessness, Depart from me, I never knew you. I used to have a lot of people that would call or text or email and say, How do I know if I'm saved or not? Wouldn't it be nice if the Bible had a test, a litmus test, where you can say, is my faith real or not? Because we're saved by faith, not by works. Everybody knows that. But how do you know if your faith is real? The answer is in 1 John 2, verses 3 and 4. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Is that pretty straightforward? I say, I'm saved by faith. I love the Lord. And I ain't going to do a single thing he tells me. John says, you're not kidding the Lord. You're only fooling yourself. Okay, back to Deuteronomy. Back to Deuteronomy. Back to Deuteronomy. Yes, Rachel. If you say that you love him, but you have no desire to read your word, read his words, then do you truly love him? I think you can answer that, can't you? Yes, sir. Yeah. Scripture says, study to show yourself approved. Deuteronomy 27, verse 1. Now Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, What's that word saying mean? It's a quote. It's really what he said. Keep all the commandments which I command you today. That word keep is the word shamor. Shamor. What kind of word is that? That's a command form. A commandment to keep, to guard, to protect, to treat as precious. Which portion of the commandment? And the Hebrew doesn't say all of the commandments. It says all of the commandment. That is, it's not a laundry list to pick and choose. Don't separate it. It's just like God said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment. And these are the statutes and judgments. So the commandment is made up of commandments, statutes, and judgments. But in God's eyes, it makes a unity. It makes one whole. It's not a laundry list to pick and choose. To me, that's significant. Uh huh. Then, you know, that should be an easy way to catch a false teacher because Scripture says you know a false teacher by their fruits. So if a false teacher, if a teacher is saying, "Hey, God has His commandments broken into these categories, and you can just pick the one you like," so if the preacher's up there munching on a piece of bacon while he's teaching you, yeah. 
So it's like that should be, we should be able to spot that easily. We should be able to spot that easily. Is that not what the Lord said in Matthew 7? Let's go look and see. I think you've got it on good authority there, Daniel. Matthew chapter 7 does not describe unbelievers and believers. Exactly. It's describing people who all think they're all believers. They think they're on the way to heaven. Verse 13 of Matthew 7 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. They think they're on the road to heaven. And where's that road leading? To destruction. They're going the wrong way, but they think they're going the right way. Verse 14 says, Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. But why are so many on the wrong road when they're wanting salvation? Verse 15 is the answer. Beware of false prophets, false teachers, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. They're teaching the people wrong, and the people like sheep are following the wrong shepherd, going the wrong way. Well, how do we know one from the other? Look at verse 16. You'll know them by their fruits. If they're not following God's commandments, then what do they have to teach you? How to break them. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 19. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Should the preachers be teaching us that it's okay to live in sin? Not, not only uh, when my wife and I lived in Boston before we retired and came back down to Georgia a little over 10 years ago, every church in the area was rainbow. They were led by lesbians, and they're, they're calling themselves the Church of God. They're teaching people to live in sin. And everywhere you turn, that's all you saw. And I thought that was bad. But what did Spain just pass? Did you notice in the most recent prophecy update? They just passed the laws to make it legal to have sex with animals. Now you wait. In a few months... They're going to authorize marrying people to their animals. You know, the world just goes farther and farther and farther into sin. And they're, they're being led by pastors, teachers, etc. That tell them that this is what God wants. You've got your Andy Stanleys who say God's commandments, that's been done away with. That's not for us. What does the scripture say? You'll know them by their works. You know, Paul warned us about this. He said that there will come a day when people will just want their ears tickled and not want to hear truth. Could that have been in 2 Timothy chapter 4? Yeah. So let's get back to the scripture before I get preachy. Verse 2. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones 
and whitewash them with lime. Why would you whitewash large stones with lime? Because you're going to write on them. Why not write on a piece of paper? Besides that, how long does paper last? Not long, but how long do the stones last? How do you make lime? The stones can last forever. How do you make lime? You take you take limestone and burn it mm -hmm. in a retort and get them blowing, blowing red hot for many hours. And then you crush it and powder, pulverize it, powder it, and mix it with water. And that's how you make lime. Yeah. It's a many-day process, and you just don't go out, like you say, to the store and get a bucket full and paint it on there. You can take <laughs> it's a process that takes time and effort. Yeah. So the lime will wash up? It's durable. No, no, it's going it, it to. It will eventually take a long time. Really? Yeah. Long time. you got to keep that temperature just right. You can't just throw it in there and forget about it. you got to watch it and add the fuel to keep it at a good right okay. temperature. But the key is verse 3. Yes, ma'am. Well, it just, I had done a study on, it's called Donmei, D-O-N-M-E-H, and the migration of the Jews. And to this day in Europe, you, there, these Donmeis, these living um, uh, monuments to the Lord as part of their journey, it's, they're still there. Yeah. Yep, these stay for a long, long time. But verse 3, the reason they're setting up these stones and whitewashing them isn't to have nice white stones sitting there, it's to write on them. Verse 3, you shall write on them all the words of this Torah. How many of the words? All, all the words of this Torah. Not of these laws, but this law. Again, going back to the concept of one commandment with many details within it. When you've crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. What did God say if the people will be faithful to him in the land? How long will they stay there? Forever. Forever. And if they turn away from him, they'll be cast out. They'll be cast out. So when you go into the land, the first thing is to write all the words on the stones. Why? The words on the stones won't last forever. But the memories will. We wrote it on stone so that it would not change. So that we would remember it. The act of writing helps us remember. Verse 4. Therefore, it shall be... When, not if. When you have crossed over the Jordan. Because who promised they would cross over the Jordan? The Lord did. And the Lord will keep every word he promised. What does he expect us to do? To keep every word we promised. That amount Ebal, you shall set up these stones which I command you today. You shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. Why? Iron makes it too easy. That's not why. Because iron is a man-made tool. 
They want you to use stones that God formed, not ones that you formed. It's all about God's commandments, not your commandments. The stones that are made by God, not made by human hands, teaches us about whom in Daniel chapter 2? About Messiah. Go to Daniel chapter 2. The stone cut out without human hands. Yes, Sam? No, they were going to do this the one time. And they're going to go to two different mountains and they're going to shout back and forth to each other. Not standing next to each other where they could whisper, but they're going to be on two separate mountains and they're going to shout to each other. Let's go to Daniel chapter 2. The reason all the stones of all the altars must be not cut by human hands they must be made by God is because they picture Messiah. Go to Daniel chapter 2, verse 34. You watch while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. What does that stone represent? Messiah. Go to verse 44. In the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Let's look at the other verses. Deuteronomy 27.5. That's the one that we're on now. Go to Joshua chapter 8, verse 31. Joshua 8.31. We'll start in 30 so we don't start in the middle of a sentence. It says, Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal. That's the mountain we were just reading about. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it's written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of whole stones, or which no man has wielded an iron tool. They offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And go to 1 Kings chapter 6. Joshua chapter 8, verse 31. Does yours read differently? Ah, okay. Okay. They both start with a J, so I understand. Okay. 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 7. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. No, First Kings chapter 6, verse 7. I must be going too fast. Let me slow down. Oh my, I got six notes from go to meeting. 
Danny and Susie say, Wayne, when it says that they're to write all the words, is this referring to just the ten words? No. Talking about all the words of Deuteronomy. That's why it's more than one stone. <laughs> it took lots of stones. Okay. Where were the stones quarried from to build the temple? Actually from the Temple Mount, the place called Golgotha. It looks like a skull because that's where they cut out the stones that they used in the temple. It looks like eyes and a nose and mouth. It still does. And Messiah being the stone which the builders rejected, that's right where he was crucified, was right there at Golgotha. How many of you heard the song, On a Hill Far Away? Yeah. yeah. They actually crucified at the roadside, right outside the gate. So as you go out the Damascus gate, the north gate, it's right there to your right is where they crucify Messiah. Because to do it on a hill far, far away where nobody can see it defeats the purpose. The Romans crucified in such a humiliating, agonizing way so that everybody passing by would say, boy, I better not do what they did. Don't they still discourage tourists from going out that gate because of the Muslims? Maybe, but I've done it. Yeah. The area of Golgotha is now a Muslim bus stop. The purpose of the offering is simply to show God we are being obedient to you. It's, it's one thing to tell God we're going to be obedient. This is a demonstration that we are. Okay, back to Deuteronomy. We're up to verse 6. And you shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. Wait a minute. Thought we can only take an offering to Jerusalem to the Temple Mount. There isn't one. At this point in Deuteronomy 27, they don't have Jerusalem yet. So they still establish an altar wherever they happen to be. It's not until David buys the threshing floor of Aruna and Solomon builds the temple of God that from that point forward, sacrifices can only be in Jerusalem at the Temple Mount. Which is why we don't set up an altar out here in the parking lot. In, in the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. In the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. They didn't have altars, did they? Um, sometimes yes, sometimes no. Remember at Mount Sinai where Moses does a sacrifice and sprinkles the people with blood? He would have done that on an altar. And when they come into the land, they build an altar at Ebal, then they build one at Shiloh, because they're still moving around. But once the, temp the temple gets established, then it doesn't move anymore. Is Shiloh and Salem the same Geographic location? Um, not the same exact place. They're in the same country. Okay. Okay. I've heard that they meant the same, you know, same place. No, they do not. Okay. 
Verse 7. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. Jackie was just asking about those offerings. You don't just bring an offering and let it be burned up on the altar unless it's the burnt offering, the Olah. Most of the sacrifices were done. The blood's poured out on the altar. There's certain parts of the animal that are burned on the altar. And then the rest is, is big barbecue. And when you eat the sacrifice, you're participating in the sacrifice. That's why when you come to Baal Peor in Numbers chapter 25, and the men go and eat from the food sacrificed to idols, God says you're participating in idolatry. They might say, hey, no, we're just having lunch. But God says, no, when you eat the sacrifice, you're participating in the sacrifice. With, with, with the sacrifice, which was only, uh, there was grain offerings and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So would they have had like, uh, you know, baked beans and meat and a salad? And, I mean, would it, when they ate the sacrifice, would it have been like a meal? It would have been a meal, yeah. Like they would have had bread and wine and vegetables, oh, sure. Interesting, okay. Yeah. The, what... what the biblical term for those vegetables is priha the fruit of the ground. So whenever you see the fruit of the ground, that's what they're talking about is vegetables. And they brought quite a bit of them to the, I mean, their tithes. That was the yeah. huge amount of food. Yeah, when they're bringing things like dates and things that grow on trees, that's called priha So when you see those terms, that's what they're talking about. Verse 8. Oops, got two new out here. Do these participating details of being sacrificed also have any significance for folks participating in the Seder? Um, yes. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. And as Rachel says, put everybody in mute. So let's put everybody in mute. Okay. We're up to verse 8. And you shall write how? Very plainly on the stones all the words of this law God doesn't want there to be any misunderstanding any I couldn't read the sloppy handwriting write it very clearly very distinctly each and every word so that people can read it and understand and know for sure what God has said because God has promised great blessings for obedience and he's prophesied great judgments for disobedience. But does God compel us to be obedient? Does he force us? No. In Deuteronomy 30, just a couple chapters, most are going to say, I said before you today, life and death, choose life, which means you get a choice. That's hard. That's hard to understand. Is that people can choose to turn away from God, not worship God. We don't want people to turn away from God and not worship God. Yes, ma'am. It says to write plainly. I would assume in that day everybody knew how to write and everybody knew how to read, but I wasn't there. 
Right. It doesn't tell us a lot in the Bible about what kind of education children received back then. And at this time, wouldn't they be using Paleo-Hebrew characters? Let's not get into Paleo-Hebrew. That's a topic for a different day. Okay. Okay. What does that say? Don't you wish? Yeah. Okay. Now, here's what happens after they write. So, verse 8 You shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Who are they speaking to? Everybody. Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people of the Lord your God. Why this day? Because this day they have taken an oath, entered into a covenant with the Lord, that they will be his special people, that they will be obedient. That's what they say anyway. Verse 10, Therefore, because you profess to be the people of God, Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. And Moses commanded the people on the same day saying, These shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people when you've crossed over the Jordan. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. How many tribes is that? How many? Six. How many tribes are there? Twelve. So they divide the people into two groups. Half of them will go on to Mount Gerizim. Verse 13. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal to curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. So six tribes on Mount Gerizim. Six tribes on Mount Ebal. This is where I'm saying they're not standing right next to each other where they can whisper. How do you communicate with somebody on the next mountain? You're going to have to yell. You're going to have to put some lung power behind it. Oh, and by the way, in verse 11, when it says on the same day, that's not what the Hebrew says. The Hebrew is bayom hahu, on that day. On that day. So this is something that will be done also in the day of the Lord, yet in the future. So they divided the people into two groups. One to bless, one to curse. What's that mean? Let's see. Verse 14. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel. That's because the people are on two different mountains. The Levites are talking to both groups, yelling. Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman that sets it up in secret. And who answers? And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. How could somebody then go, gee, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do that. They obviously know. But is this something new? Is this a new commandment? This is part of the Big Ten. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 to see what it means to be cursed. 
And the word cursed here in verse 15 is a passive participle. Meaning it's God who will curse them if they fail to obey the commandment. So let's just go back and look and see what it means to be cursed. Because cursed is used a lot of ways today, right? You hear a kid at school cussing, you say, hey, don't curse. Is that the kind of cursing we're talking about? Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. You shall eat dust all the days of your life. So this curse has what? It has consequences. And that's what God is trying to get across to the people in Deuteronomy, is that sin has consequences. We see in Genesis 3.17, this same word cursed again. Oops, I got another note out here. Let's see. Verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Did this curse have consequences? Most certainly did. Genesis chapter 4 verse 11. The slaying of Abel by Cain. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. The curse has consequences. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. No, that's not what it says. The Hebrew says, my sin, my avon, my sin is greater than I can bear. It's a vault, which is iniquity or sin. You can translate either way. No, it's not just a one-time sin. That's right. Genesis chapter 9. After Noah and his family are set down on Mount Ararat in the ark. Genesis chapter 9, Noah gets drunk. His son Ham does something unspeakable. And verse 24 it says, So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brethren. So the curse had consequences. And Genesis chapter 12, Verse 3, if you think America has been under God's judgment, you're right. And if you think it's going to get better, you're wrong. 
Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. What's America done to Israel lately? Have you been following the news? Where the Security Council of the United Nations, whenever they would try and introduce a resolution cursing Israel, the United States would veto it. Not anymore. Now we allow them. We vote with them. Is that going to bring judgment on America? You just wait and see. One more. Exodus chapter 20. Because Daniel said, yes, this commandment is one of the big ten. It is. So let's read it. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 to 6. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity, that's the word I've owned, mm -hmm, of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands of generations, that is, to those who love me and what? Keep my commandments. So as we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27, the very first commandment is the same as the first commandment in the Ten Commandments is no idols. Verse 16 Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. This goes back to Exodus chapter 20 as well. So let's start in Exodus 20. Verse 12. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That word honor means more than just listen to your parents when you're young. It also means to support them when they get old. Let's go to Exodus chapter 21, verse 17. God addresses this topic many times. Exodus 21, verse 17. And he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be what? Put to death. Don't you wish we'd known that when we were younger? Leviticus 20 verse 9. Leviticus 20 verse 9. For everyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood shall be upon him. We are our father and our mother. When we curse them, we curse ourselves. So look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20. 
This is the same thing, but in a very poetic way. Whoever curses his father or his mother, his lamp shall be put out in deep darkness. Is that heaven? Oh, that's the lake of fire. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15, verse 4. One of the things that the scribes and the Pharisees did was say, yeah, but you don't have to follow those commandments about honoring your mother and your father. The people just yelled each other or are about to when they come into the land that cursed be the one who breaks this. Yet in Matthew 15, start in verse 1. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, came to Yeshua, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Is that a commandment of God, to use the special cup to wash your hands? No. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and you curse his father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... Whoever says to his father and mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. And he calls them hypocrites. Well, did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So is it okay to set aside the commandment of God and replace it with the commandment of man? So if God said, remember the Sabbath, and the Pope said, no, no, no. And the Council of Laodicea, Canon 29, said, don't you dare keep the Sabbath. You've got to do Sunday instead. Do we obey God or the Pope? God said, remember the Passover. And the Pope said, no, 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 no. Do Easter instead. God said, don't eat pigs. And the Pope said, you must eat pigs to show that you're a Christian. Who do we follow, God or man? Does it matter? The answer is yes, it matters. Back to Deuteronomy. Verse 17. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. What's this mean? Go to Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. If you move the neighbor's landmark, you have done what? Stolen his land. And it's not yours to steal in the first place. It belongs to God, doesn't it? And God gives it to whom God chooses. Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. You shall not remove your neighbor's landmark, which the men of old have set. In your inheritance, which you will inherit in the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. Exodus 
Exodus 20, verse 15. You shall not what? Steal. What can we steal then from our neighbor? Yes, there is nothing. We can steal nothing from our neighbor. Let's go back to Deuteronomy, verse 18. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road. And all the people shall say, everybody, amen. Go back to Leviticus 19.14. Leviticus 19.14. I want you to see Moses isn't making any of this up. You shall not curse the deaf, meaning even though they cannot hear you, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You know, there's a deeper meaning to putting a stumbling block before the blind. What about someone who's spiritually blind, who's trying to find the Lord, and you lead them astray? You can both wind up in the ditch. Yeah. What does the scripture say? What does Messiah say about the scribes and Pharisees? That they're blind guides. That they travel from one end of the earth to the other to find a convert and make them twice the child of hell as you are. They're still doing it today. False teachers are still leading people astray, even today. Yes. Yes, no one in their right mind would intentionally cause a blind person to stumble and fall and think it was funny. Of course, I'm sure we all knew people back in school. <laughs> However, Deuteronomy 27, verse 19. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. Now he's going to meddling. <laughs> right? Yeah. So let's go to Deuteronomy 10. How does God feel about the strangers, the widows, and orphans? Let's go look. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 18. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore you love the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 14, verse 29. Deuteronomy 14, verse 29. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger, and the fatherless, and the widow who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So God says, if you're feeding the strangers, the fatherless, the widows, he will bless you, and you will never want Deuteronomy 
is talking about the feasts and festivals. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite who is within your gates, the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are among you at the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. Does God care for the widows, the orphans, and the strangers? He does. In that same chapter, verse 14, at another festival, God says, remember the strangers, the fatherless, and the widows. We're running short on time, so let's let that be that for that one. Or we could say, let's go to the book of James. Why not? Let's go to the book of James. Because one may say, well, Wayne, that was Old Testament. What about the New Testament? Well, let's go to the book of James and see. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. What's another way to say to keep oneself unspotted from the world? Don't sin. Don't sin. Yep. So let's go back to Deuteronomy, we're up to verse 20. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed. And all the people shall say, Amen. But do you realize it's not has uncovered his father's bed? It has uncovered his father's seat. At the wedding ceremony, when I, when I pronounce you man and wife, what does the husband do? He reaches out the tallit and puts it around the wife's shoulders so that the zit seat are hanging down across her shoulder. Has brought her under his wing, under his protection. So that's really what it says. But the curse is those who have immoral sexual relations with the father's wife. And you say, oh, gross, that would never happen. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is someone who claims to be a believer. They claim to be saved. They're part of the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. They didn't care that the man was breaking this commandment. And Paul says, Get him out of the congregation. And they do. And then he understands the seriousness of the sin and repents. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, now, one, now that he's repented, now welcome him back in. 
But what are the commandments in the Old Testament? Go to Leviticus 18, verse 8. I don't know how a theologian can read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul judges the man for breaking the commandment and say, Paul teaches us it's okay to break the commandments. He may have been put to death in the Old Testament. Let's go read. Leviticus 18, verse 8. The nakedness of your father's wife you shall not uncover. It is your father's nakedness. Deuteronomy 22, 30. The answer is going to be no. But as we look at the verses, we'll see that. Deuteronomy 22, verse 30. A man shall not take his father's wife nor uncover his father's bed. So that means even if the father has died, can he marry his father's widow? The answer is no. Back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 27, verse 21. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal. What did Spain just do? Say, sure, why not? But what do all the people say? Amen. Cursed. Cursed. Go to Exodus 22, 19. <laughs> I tell you what, the world is getting so bad. How does God stand us? What's the penalty for lying with an animal as you would with a human? <coughs> Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. You know what that surely means? Dying you shall die. There is no exception. There is no, let me pay a fine instead. This man dies. What does, this tells me about Spain is if they thought they were under God's judgment before, they need to look out. It's going to get worse. Yes, some. Spain is the only country that just did it. So it's been in the prophecy news updates that they just passed the law. But you know, it'll spread. Yeah. Yeah, it'll spread. Just like it'll be here in America soon. And just because they legalize it doesn't mean it hasn't already spread. Well, that's true. That's true. Back to Deuteronomy 27 before we lose our lunch that we haven't eaten yet. Verse 22, Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. And all the people shall say, Amen. Leviticus 18. Yeah, I'm sure they said a lot of other things too, but when they're saying amen, what they're saying is yes, we realize that we will bring ourselves under a curse if we break these commandments. Leviticus 18, verse 9 and verse 11. 
Verse 9 says, The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father, or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. Verse 11, The nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, begotten by your father, she is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Back to Deuteronomy 27. What does man do every time God says, Thou shalt not? Oh, yeah? Let's do it. Oh, yeah? Who's God to tell me? We're, we're going to do this. Yuck. Verse 23. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law. And all the people shall say, Amen. Let's go to Leviticus 18.17. Yeah, these are the ones that are emphasized. You have to write all the words, but I want to make sure you understand these in particular. Because they're coming into a land where these things were common. And God wants them to realize that when you come into the land, don't learn these things from the inhabitants. Leviticus 18, 17. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. Nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. So it says you shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter. That includes your mother-in-law. God didn't need to tell me that, but he did anyway. Verse 18 there. You shall not take a woman as a rival to her sister. That was uh, directly violated by one of the patriarchs, wasn't it? Yeah, but not by his choice. I was going to bring up the same thing about Abraham and Sarah. You're going to bring up Abraham and Sarah. That's right. He did wrong by marrying his sister. Did it cause him any trouble in life? Oh, yeah. Most certainly did. If you look back at the patriarchs, you will not find one that was sinless and perfect. They were all flawed people. Even David. Well, David was a man after God's own heart. He never did anything wrong, right? Can you say Bathsheba? <laughs> Uriah? Yeah. So you're right. And Jacob, he didn't violate the commandment because it was not his choice. His father-in-law deceived him. He was tricked into it. Asked. I still would have hoped he'd have done different things. But however, back to verse 24 of Deuteronomy chapter 27 as we're running out of time. Verse 24 says, Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly. And all the people shall say, Amen. That doesn't mean attacking your neighbor openly is okay. It's talking about lying in wait. Lying in wait. What do you know about a killing that's done by somebody lying in wait? It's murder. And the penalty for that is death. Go back to Exodus 21. Exodus 21, starting in verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he did not lie in wait, that God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. 
But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treachery, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. So that's what this in Deuteronomy 27 is about. Killing a man in secrecy is talking about lying in wait with a premeditated heart. You know that's murder. That's never an accident. Numbers 35, verse 19. Numbers 35, verse 19. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. He shall put him to death. If he pushes him out of hatred or while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or in enmity he strikes him with his hand so that he dies, but when he struck him shall surely be put to death, he's a murderer. So whenever you see while lying in wait, that indicates to God premeditation of the heart. Put in your notes Numbers 19, verses 11 to 12, as another verse on that topic, but since we have 30 seconds left, let's come to the end of Deuteronomy 28, verse 25. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. This is about a judge who takes a bribe to find somebody that he knows is innocent and declares them guilty so that they can be put to death. Go to Exodus 23, verse 8. Exodus 23, verse 8. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. In Deuteronomy 16, 19. Deuteronomy 16, 19. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe. For a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise. And twist the words of the righteous. The last verse of Deuteronomy 27. Says, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law, this Torah. And all the people shall say, Amen. But, but I've got to tell you. This translation leaves out some words. Verse 26, Curses one who does not confirm all the words of this law should then follow to do them. So they've listed these particular ones and called out, and then this is the catch-all for the rest. So it's not that these are the only commandments that God cares about. Cursed is the one who does not confirm and do all the words of of the Torah. What is the wages of sin? Death. So we've run out of time. We'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1.